Good morning and welcome everybody. You're listening to Breakfast Show on Faith FM 87.6, 87.8 or 88 right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network, wherever you are. Positively different radio in the morning. You are with Lyle and... Minnie. Minnie. How are you on this bright and sunny Monday morning for all those who are getting the live broadcast? Tuesday well, you know what? I'm actually, I th- I'm good. I'm good. I was listening okay. to a song. I have a song stuck in my head currently. This is Minnie squinting, <laughs> squinting out through. <laughs> because I'm tired. No, but I, I was listening to music as usual when I was coming here. And there was this one song that it's just like, talking about God, it's just like, faithful you are, faithful you have been, uh, forever you will be. Um, and all your promises are yes and amen. And I was just thinking about that. I was like, man, like not to... Not to diminish just circumstances, but honestly, like we have such a God of like hope and promise that even if you're in a bit of a stitch up sort of day, like we just have a good God who's like, I got you, I got you. Like, even if you're living in Victoria and you've just, yeah. just been told that you're going to have a couple more weeks of lockdown. <gasps> no. Yes. Oh, I didn't know about that. Oh, Victoria, oh, Victoria we're sorry. <laughs> we're feeling for you guys. Okay, so for everybody down in Victoria and, of course, our headquarters for Faith FM Radio know. are down in Victoria. Mm. So we're praying for you guys. Mm. We really are. We're praying particularly for your emotional health at this time. Yes, yes, that's a real thing. How are you this morning? What are oh, you thankful amazing, for? Amazing, amazing. I am... I have been feeling guilty since yesterday. Oh. Yes. What, what happened? I've been feeling very guilty. Yes. <laughs> I, I just got so <laughs> spoiled. I just got so spoiled for Father's Day. I feel guilty for it. Oh. Had the best for Father's Day That's ever. so nice. What did your family do for you? Ah, uh, they just came over and hung out and mm. were just super nice to me all day. And they're like, oh, you get to choose whatever you want to do now. And I'm just like, oh, yeah, we'll do this. That's so like, nice, though. Yeah, it was good. It was great. So that was awesome. Father's Day is a good time of year. And I got to talk to my father and my father-in-law and, yeah, all that stuff. Hey, perfect. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Mini, brighten up the beginning of our week with some positively different news. Look, I sure will. I'll give it a go. Um, So, happiness. Yes. Have you heard of the Happiness Research Institute in Denmark. Yes. I hadn't, but I'm like, what a cool thing. (laughs) (laughs) Happiness. But anyway, so I was doing a little search my stories and this one came up. So just recently. Not to be cynical, but they do always say that Scandinavia is the happiest part of the world. They do that. But then I've also heard that people feel the loneliness, the loneliest over there. Oh, really? Just because of the social demographics I guess like that so and look I have not been there I don't know no, I can't comment but one someone from Scandinavia has to tell yes, us yes someone tell us but someone who's lived in both countries which is the happier country Australia Ooh. or Scandinavia I think I mean yeah region region I think part of it might be to do with and this is not necessarily totally accurate as I haven't been there but one of my friends recently who came back was saying um there's not always like the small talk that you have just with strangers. So, you know, if you're walking down the street, like, oh, yeah, hey, morning, or like whatever, there's not that kind of friendliness with strangers. Mm-hmm. And so, like, if you're having a rough day and, like, you're not with people, you, you can you just do be it, in your own you head. You do it by yourself. Yeah, yeah. That's interesting. I would be interested to compare that with Australia because Shell finds Australia to be very, very lacking in small talk with strangers. <laughs> Compared to the United States. Interesting. Yeah, Australia, because she says, you know, you walk down the aisle in the supermarket and people move over to get out of your way, and, and this is off before uh-huh. COVID, uh-huh. but they don't look at you and they don't engage and they don't chat. 
And she's like, if I was in Dimehawk, and of course she comes from small town, uh-huh. Northwoods, uh-huh. Wisconsin, everybody chats and everybody has a conversation and catches up on all kinds of stuff and just comments on things. And in Australia, people, they just don't engage. So interesting. It is, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, fully. I wonder, what, I wonder which is the most freely engaging uh-huh. country in the world. Uh, How would we go. know? Someone, I can see that phone ringing. Someone's, someone's, someone's about to get double prizes. <laughs> <laughs> I am about to lose this one. <laughs> Maybe. Confidence, we'll Lyle, confidence. All right, all right. <laughs> but anyway, so. They're going to be wrong. Anyway, so this happened. It's a bit, but you're right. It is known, Scandinavia is known to be generally one of the happiest places in the world. Like we yes, do know it the, for that's that. That's the reputation. It's because they have the Happiness Institute. Yes, yeah. Um, so they get to choose which part of the world. That's right. <laughs> anyway, so the CEO... Oh, I don't know how to pronounce his name. Could be Mike? Let's call him Mike. We'll call him Mike. Um, it says that basically, despite what people think of it being a place where, you, you know, it's a room full of puffy puppies and you're eating lots of ice cream. No, no, no. It's really just like eight people sitting around a table, like looking at data. About happiness. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> but, <laughs> but because um, numerous public requests have asked to visit the office in Denmark, it gave them the idea. And the idea was what if people had a place where they could better, um, where they could have a better understanding of what makes human happiness happen, which is what the research, the Happiness Research Institute is looking at themselves. But they're like, what if we could make open the statistics and the data and the whatever to other people? So they have created the first happiness museum. And is it full of puppies and ice cream? It isn't. Oh. It isn't. It's very museum-like, but, hey, I would be open to that. Um, <laughs> I think the ice cream and the puppies need to be in two separate rooms, though. Yes. I don't Look, want to be competing for my ice cream. <laughs> true, true. But, um, but, yeah, and so they thought, why can't we create a place where people can experience happiness from different perspectives and create an exhibition where people can become a bit wiser around some of the questions we try to solve. Um, so basically, the institute's mission is to explore. Where's my note gone? Is to explore why some societies are happier than others, and use this data to form decision to inform, sorry, decision makers of the causes and effects of human happiness, and improve overall quality of life for citizens around the globe. So in this museum, basically, it just houses a vast collection of donated artifacts that represent happiness to people from all around the world. Okay. And old Mike Mike has basically just said, you know, whether we're Danish, Mexican, American or Chinese, we are first and foremost people. Um, and it's the same thing that drives happiness no matter where we're from. And that's what we want people to see in the exhibition. I wonder what is the most universal object that has been donated from around. Like like yeah. everybody has the same thing. I wonder what that thing might be. Well, that's the thing. It didn't. But this is what I'm interested by. The fact that he's made this comment. He's just like, you know, we're all human and we all have very similar things. I was like, so what's in the exhibitions? That's right. Like, <laughs> is it? There has to be. Surely there has to be something about Jesus Christ in the exhibition. If there is not. Then it is incomplete. <laughs> yeah, I'm for just, sure. Just, just stating stating reality here. Oh yeah, but I, I imagine there'd be so many things too that, well, for me, I connect nature very much with the love of God and music mm. very much with the love yes. of God. So for me, I imagine if you had something like that, then I'm like, yeah, people don't know, people don't know that this is from God, but um, <laughs> <laughs> but it's there. <laughs> okay, so maybe they got like a musical instruments or a. Nature Hall? Yeah, I don't know. What do you put in the museum? Oh, that'd be cool. Maybe, maybe, maybe they've got, uh, for the nature part, they've just got the museum gardens. Oh. Just go out there and be happy. 
Yeah, but they'd have to be pretty good gardens. And the music centre, you you can't have just instruments. That's not going to make people happy. You've got to have the music playing. Yeah, there's got to be like it's got to be like interactive a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So artists that come in on yeah. a you know on a daily basis or a half daily basis to uh, busk basically. Oh, how cool would that be? Could you imagine going to the museum and feel like your daily live music fix? Playing, playing happy music. Well, uh, yes, yes, of course. <laughs> yes, playing happy music. Because oh, you can yeah. play sad music. Actually, yeah. We don't want sad music. And that affects you so much, music. It does. That's something I've started to realise. If I'm actually my sister Claire, she says, um, when I'm sad, I sing until my heart is glad. And so we, we've both talked about the fact that sometimes you can listen to music that lets you stay miserable. That's not the music you want to listen to. And what I find is that when people are miserable, they naturally look for miserable music. Yeah. So I... sing when you sing when you're sad, sing until you're glad. I like that because it's like okay, I'm going to intentionally find happy music. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. And even if the music itself isn't super happy, if you get the right words, that'll bring your spirit right up. You know, because you're singing truth even Absolutely. if your feelings don't agree with Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And sing Jesus into your soul, you know. You yes, think that, uh, absolutely. Focus your attention. Look, look, look to Jesus. Focus your attention on Jesus. You will find happiness there every single time. Absolutely. And those are the happiest songs to sing, so focus on those kind of songs. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. All right, let's see. what. Where should we start here? Um, new deal with uh, Amazon um, to sell them all of the information that the uh, government can gain from our smart meters. Mm-hmm. So smart meters is the meter that goes, your, your electricity meter. Um, they've been going in, in Australia about uh, 12,000 per month, uh, particularly with the rise of solar. And in Victoria, of course, I think everybody in Victoria has a smart meter that costs them you know, billions of dollars. It doesn't make your electricity any cheaper. There's no advantage to a smart meter, except that you get lots of detailed information on your electricity usage. So your smart meter can pretty much tell um, all kinds of information. It can tell uh, what kind, how many fridges you've got in the home. It can tell the ages of your fridges. So this is kind of breaking down what is causing you it the can, most. It can tell you when you switch your computer on, when you switch it off, how many mm. TVs there are in the home, how much time you spend watching TV. It can tell you all kinds of things, information that you can get from a smart meter. And Amazon is a big company, mm-hmm. one of the world's biggest companies that likes to sell you things. <laughs> yes, they do. And so now we just sold that information to Amazon. So now not only are they able to gather through their own algorithms and, and if you spend any time shopping on Amazon, which I have, you know they have a very effective algorithm of uh, gathering information and selling you things. Uh, they're now able to find out, okay, your fridge is about to blow up. Let us sell you a fridge. Oh, I see. All kinds Quite of stuff. Quite the strategy. That, oh, I tell you. It, uh, it's, it's almost like... Uh, selling to Amazon, a private business company, all of the information that is being, you know, gathered Australia wide on CCTV cameras. Uh huh. Uh huh. So, hey, uh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is the world in which we live. I got to tell you, this is Big Brother right here. We uh, <laughs> these kind of things they just did not exist thirty years ago. Um, and of course, you know, for for businesses during COVID. They've found that productivity in many, many sectors has uh, dramatically increased because people are working from home and that is much more efficient than working from an office. So there's less travel, there's less pollution, uh, people aren't as tired from doing a one-hour commute, all that kind of stuff. So productivity has gone up. Mm -hmm. 
in many, many sectors. There's um, some interesting research that's just coming out just now on the increase of productivity having people work having people work from home. But now, of course, if you're the boss, you can find out when did they switch their computer on. When did they switch their computer off? Oh, yeah. All right, and all kinds of other sneaky things you can you can. It's just it's just. You know what? That actually that the entire pattern of your life can be seen for Can be else. built around your use of electrical and electronic devices, and there can be an algorithm that can build a picture of who you are. That's that is actually quite interesting. Like it, it's a little bit like. Huh. That's not, that's not good, but it's, it's quite interesting. But this is yes. what I find interesting with the whole work from home thing. It does make sense, like, for many reasons, as oh, you said. Yes. You know, like, my, my uncle in Canada, he normally had a massive commute, and he's like, this is the best. I don't want to go back to work because he's normally stuck in, stuck in traffic for, like, three hours a day. And so he's like, I have so much more time. Like, I'm more relaxed. But I'm someone that I go between, like, if I have to do work in a place that I normally can relax – Either I'll be more productive because it's a place that I can relax or, or more relaxed. I'll relax. I'll be like, I've got heaps of time to do that. So I like the different environment where yes. you're like, no, this is workspace and work time. This is home space and relax time. So Works- I wonder how many workers had like really struggled with this this year. This is- if you've got some thoughts you'd like to share on this, how did you go with working from home? Give us a call, 1-800-324-843 or text us on 0491-064-669. We'd like to hear your experiences. Mm. But, yeah, moving on, I'm going to talk about this story. Uh, so California has just put through some new reg- legislation uh, to, for, to protect sex offenders, pedophiles, mm. um, if there is a 10-year or less age gap. So if you're 24 years old and you have sex with a 14-year-old, then you're not being classed as a pedophile. Well, you're not being placed on the, uh, the sex register as a pedophile in California. Oh, okay. Which I think is absolutely terrible. Um, when you think about one in four girls in Australia are molested, one in six boys in Australia are molested, and the majority of that is not by dirty old men. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's by young men. Oh. Um, we need to be tackling that issue. We need to be tackling the issue where the majority is and they're protecting the majority and just going after the dirty old men because politically they're easy to stigmatise. But when you get something like, you know, the Bulldogs players who um, had sex with, you know, some children Mm. and they get a bit of a slap on the wrist compared to Israel Folau who quotes a Bible verse and gets a life ban, you know, it kind of tells you a bit about where our world is at. And, of course... Uh, in California, the interesting thing is that um, for legislation similar to this previously existed for uh, vaginal sex but didn't include anal sex or oral sex. And so now it's been broadened to include that because they're like, well, this is discrimination against the LGBTQ uh, community. Mm. And, of course, Democrat Assemblywoman... Uh, Lorena Gonzalez says, when is sex between 24-year-old and a 14-year-old ever consensual? When is that ever consensual? Mm. And I absolutely 100% agree with her. You know, what what is going on when we start to normalise pedophile behaviour? I mean, this is something that pedophiles have been pushing for for a very long time. They want to see it as being just simply another orientation. And this is another step in that direction. We need to be going the opposite direction to that. This is a sign that Jesus is coming back soon. You know, when mm-hmm. we start to talk about, um, you know, some of the worst kind of, some of the most destructive 
practices that there are in the world on human beings and we start to say, yeah, no, that's not such a bad thing, yeah. which, is, which is essentially what this legislation is doing. I mean, this is that's California for you, but anyway. A couple of comments that have come through on the text message and, of course, if you've got things that you'd like to comment on, then, um, yeah, do send your comments through or just give us a call. We'd love to have a chat. We've got an open line here. Absolutely. You can can, can jump on the radio and have your say. That's the best. I enjoy that. Okay. So um, in relationship to the story about uh, pedophiles in California uh, not being placed on the sex offenders register if there is a 10-year age gap or less. Mm -hmm. So you've got to wrap your head around this. You've got pedophiles, pedophiles who are not being placed Mm-hmm. On the sex offenders register. Mm-hmm. I mean, really? That's that's where we, our world wants to go. Uh, but anyway, whatever. Um, and so somebody just commented that demons are in charge. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Okay, so joining us on the phone right now is Dr. John Ashton, who talks to us about creation each month. Uh, Dr. John Ashton, welcome to the show. Oh, hello, uh, Lyle. Good to be here. Good to have you on the show. We had some uh, information that came through, uh, was published, I guess, in the last couple of weeks about the origin of our Earth as to whether it started off as a dry planet or a wet planet, um, which I guess raised some questions in my mind that I wanted to put towards you. The first question is, why is it in the past that scientists have uh, stated that our planet started without water and then the water came from somewhere else? What's the, what's the background? What's the story? Why, they, why, why were they saying this in the past? Oh, okay. So this is a spin-off from the uh, standard Big Bang theory that, um, of course, you, you had all this sort of um, energy that converted into matter and initially it, it forms these very light uh, elements, but as these light, uh, such as hydrogen and helium and so forth, and as these light elements are somehow drawn together under gravity, they synthesise the heavier elements that form the different uh, elements that we know that this becomes a cloud of dust circulating around, and uh, as it spins around in the centre, the sun-type suns form, with intense energy, and then as the outer particles uh, are spinning around, they condense into the uh, planets. And the idea is, of course, that the position of the Earth, as it was uh, forming, being relatively close to the sun, would have been too hot for water to also have uh, formed here. It would have been swept away by the uh, solar winds and, and so forth, and it would have been too hot, it would have been you know, just evaporated away, so it wouldn't have condensed. So that's a major issue, major issue uh, for um, theories of the origin of the Earth is where did all the water come from? Yes, so uh, that is the next question, I guess, from an evolutionary perspective. If the Earth is being formed as a dry planet, where did they claim that the water came from? Yeah, okay. Well, again, from from my perspective, these these problems such as where did the uh, huge amount of water that is on the surface of the Earth come from is a major, you know, indicator that the Earth is a special creation. 
but no, nonetheless, they've they've attempted to say, well, you know, the uh, water arrived here from uh, out further out in the solar system, where water was able to condense as ice and so forth, and was carried here by comets or uh, asteroids. But when you think about, you know, that's enormous amount of um, asteroids and comets have to impact the Earth to carry all the water that constitutes, you know, 70% of the surface of the Earth and, you know, what's stored at the poles and everything. So when you think about it, common sense is just not a reasonable explanation. Uh, One of the... Sorry, I was going to say, if, if all of the water is, and this sort of just came to my mind as you were saying this, if all of the water is arriving here via uh, comets and asteroids and so forth that are carrying, you know, frozen water or, or, or whatever to this Earth, you know, 70% of the Earth's surface covered by water, but why aren't all of the other planets like, say, for instance, Mars, why isn't Mars covered by either water or ice as well? I mean, I would think they would be collecting just as much water as us. <laughs> Yeah, well, well, these are all clues as to, you know, major problems. And I think that's one of the reasons why the scientists are working so hard to try and prove that there was water on, on Mars, because this is a major problem for them. Why does, um, you know, the Earth have all this water and Mars doesn't? Of course, Mars has a very low, um, well, virtually no atmosphere and, um, and so very low vapor pressure. So any water there would evaporate away very quickly. It's below the vapor pressure of water at the temperature on Mars. Now, one of the issues is that, you know, why was it carried away? And they have all these theories that it was carried away by solar winds. Solar winds are high energy electrons and protons that are emitted by the sun. But they're, they're all theories. No, none of them you know, sort of really work uh, all that well. Hmm. Okay, the Bible says that our water was created as a wet planet. In other words, the origin of our planet was wet. Uh, from a scientific perspective, is is that scenario feasible? Well, I mean, that's what we observed, <laughs> isn't it, you know? Um, very true, I mean, very true. Yeah, yeah. Uh, see, the, the, the creation scenario um, is is unique. And one of the issues is when we try to explain the origins, whether it's of the universe, whether it's of of stars and planets, uh, whether it's of our Earth, there's no models that are based on known signs that can explain the origin. And that's why, like the Big Bang Theory, you've got a whole lot of hypothetical entities such as dark energy, dark matter, uh, inflation theory, which says that the laws of physics were different in the beginning anyway. So these are all things that we can't prove, we can't find, but without dark uh, matter, there's not enough gravity to draw the atoms together to begin fusing the heavier elements and so forth. And it's the same with the surface of the Earth or within the solar system. You know, we've got Venus spins the opposite way to all the other planets. So it defies this, uh, the standard core accreditation model that I just mentioned, where you've got uh, the um, uh, nebulae, solar nebulae, sort of condensing into planets. How come Venus is then spinning the opposite way to all the other planets except Uranus? And Uranus is not spinning on its axis at all. It's rolling around like a, a ball. <laughs> you know, they, they just can't explain these uh, models. And, and water is a particular challenge. Um, because the Earth is unique. It's really unique. It's unique in terms of, you know, finding other planets, but, you know, we're, we're just the right distance from the sun to, um, 
have our atmosphere, to have water. You know, it's, it's, an, it's amazing. And there's no theories that can explain why that should be at the present time. Okay, so what about this new model? Um, and if I understand it correctly, there's a new model out there that says that, no, our planet did start as a wet planet rather than a dry planet and that the chemical components of water were here, um, that through volcanic action um, the, 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 the components were either united together to create water or you know, in some other way the water came to be on our planet. What's your thoughts on this, um, on this new model that has sort of arisen recently? Yeah, well, they've been working on models for a long time now, and and there's a, a couple of models like this that um, the water was trapped below the the surface, and this, of course, fits the flood description that the fountains of the deep opened, and these are believed to be, you know, and it's saying this is a source of water, so that there was water under the earth that. Uh, came out, uh, as well as being, you know, lava fountains coming out, but water came out. And this is rather interesting in that um, we know today from uh, cancer research that be, that's being done that, well, let me let me go back a little bit. Water has uh, come, is made up of hydrogen oxygen, but hydrogen has two isotopes, or three, actually. Um, but two main ones, hydrogen, the standard one, and then deuterium, which is heavy hydrogen, where the nucleus has a, a neutron as well as a proton. And uh, this makes it heavier. Now, what we've discovered in cancer research is that uh, the standard level of deuterium in the oceans and just uh, normal water um, is about 150 parts per million. If we remove that deuterium and take it down to very low levels, then um, cancers grow much more slower. Mutations in the DNA um, occur at a much, much slower rate. And so one of the uh, hypotheses is that in the Odenic condition, when the Earth was originally formed, there was very little deuterium in the surface water, and that's why the patriarchs lived a long period, a long time. But during the flood, when the fountains of the deep opened up, this water was much richer in deuterium and that spewed deuterium into the atmosphere, which increased the rate of mutations and contributed to the decline in longevity. Now, this fits. And one of the interesting things that has come out of this is as they're trying to study this water model, um, and this particular scientist, I forget, forget uh, her name, um, because her name starts with them. But she has been studying like the water trapped underneath in Iceland and comparing it with that coming out of the volcanoes such as in Hawaii and so forth. And one of the things that is puzzling is that what they what they predict is that if you look at the surface water of the of the Earth, <clears throat> if originally there was a much uh, heavier deuterium content there, then we would expect over time the lighter hydrogen would have evolved, would have been swept away, evaporated off because it's lighter than deuterium. So the oceans at their present level, we would have expected that um, in the past there would have been um, sort of less uh, deuterium there. And of course, uh, sorry, Yes, the ratios would have been different because as hydrogen has 
has been removed, that has increased the level. And, um, of course, the primordial water that we find actually fits that. It's, it's actually lower in the, um, in the level of deuterium. Whereas when we go to the very deep uh, waters, they're much richer in deuterium. So there's a couple of things here. It, it explains the decrease in longevity uh, that we observe in the Bible, but it also doesn't fit the, um, the model uh, in terms of deuterium ratios that we would expect from the origin of the Earth models as well. Right? So they would have expected that primordially there would have been more deuterium in the water, whereas we know, we're observing now that there was less deuterium in the water. So all these are little clues that are pointing to the Bible account being accurate and also they're major puzzles that can't be explained in terms of the standard model of the origin of planets. So it's, it's, it's really exciting that they're finding these, these issues that are contradicting their, their, you know, standard model and yet they're all really pointing to the Bible's uh, position. Yeah. yeah, that is absolutely fascinating. And, of course, when I look at the what the Bible talks about, you know, the new earth where there are no um, vast oceans, the Bible says that there's no sea, and then if that's, you know, the model we've got of, of Eden in the past taken away to Eden restored at the end of time, then that would indicate to me that in the past there was less surface water than what there is in the present and that there'll be less surface water again in the future. If we if we look at go back to that issue of um, the fountains of the deep being broken up during the flood, as the Bible says, could with with some of the new models that are coming out, does um, would the action of volcanoes explain a lot of the water that we're seeing on our world today? Ah, oh, well, that that's what they're saying that uh, some of the water you know came out of volcanoes. It, there's other explanations as well. So when we look at uh, rocks, so your standard um, granites, for example, have high silica content, so that's silicon and oxygen. Or if you look at iron ore, that's iron and oxygen. Now, when I was uh, when I started work at BHP Research, the, one of the first experiments I was on was we were looking at reducing iron ore with hydrogen, and we were saying the kinetics of the or how fast that reaction went. And uh, so, of course, the product of that reaction is when you react hydrogen with oxygen, uh, with uh, iron ore, you produce water plus iron metal. And so, um, you know, one of the theories is that there's uh, quite a massive amount of hydrogen um, stored uh, deep down in the earth. And that, um, for example, Thomas Gold, who was professor of astronomy at Cornell University, quite a famous but controversial astronomer, uh, said that um, the reason why we have so much oil and petroleum is that it's constantly being synthesised deep underground from stores of uh, hydrogen and carbon that are down there. So this is, um, and of course, you know, God says the earth's going to be destroyed by fire. <laughs> Rather interesting. Mm. So, you know, it's not to, I, I think the bottom line for me as a scientist is that I read the the issues that people, uh, that scientists have in trying to explain away the origin of the Earth, the origin of the universe and so forth, is that everything points to the creation model. When we go out and do experiments today, 
and measure thing, it fits that everything was created as a working system with these unique properties. We can't explain the origin of the Earth or the solar system or the universe in terms of some mechanical, natural, progressive model with a whole lot of random reactions occurring according to the known laws of physics and coming out with all these structures. Mm. It just doesn't work. You know, we've, you've got a you know you've got a major problem with the we know the diameter of the universe is uh, you know forty five billion years or the light years, for example. But yet the universe is supposedly only you know thirteen point eight billion years old. So you know how can even the light, let alone the matter, travel across that in that amount of time? So you know, so scientists have all these all these problems. You know, when we look at these stars that are the most furthest away, they should be the very youngest, but they're all mature. So there's all these issues that just are confounding any of the models. And when it's closer to home here on Earth, where did all this water come from? It's just a major challenge for to explain in any of the models. And and even how the uh, there's no model that really works that can explain the origin of the plants in our solar system. You know, the three main ones are the core accreditation model, which I talked about. Then we've got pebble accreditation model and the disk instability model are the three main ones. But they all have major problems mm. and none of them can explain the origin of water. A couple of comments that have come through on the text message and the issue will always be the same. Who would you believe, the word of God or man? Not much of a choice for me. They are just guessing. <laughs> God just tells me what he did. <laughs> the scientists are out there guessing. And this is why, you know, your science books are going to be rewritten every, you know, year, mm. even though they lag science by 30 years. You didn't know that. That's such a big... Yes. So you get a, you get a new discovery like this that says, no, our world actually was um, started off as being wet rather than um, dry. Won't be in your science book now for another 30 years. That's a really long time. That's a really long that's a real, time. Like, in the scientific world, that's a massive time. Uh, oh, time. interesting. Fun time. Dr. John Ashton, thank you so much for joining us here on Faith FM this morning. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.